You know, in Singapore, we have uh, street lamps line up everywhere on our roads, right? So, and these lamps are so, no, so closely positioned to each other that we hardly have a patch of darkness on our roads. There was one night when I was uh, driving out of church here in Adam. So initially, I, I turned off my headlights in order not to shine on the people who are walking out. And uh, however, I forgot to turn it back on uh, after I passed the gate. But yet, when I was on the road, I didn't feel like I could not see without my headlights. So I was just happily driving on my way home until I see random cars passing me by and they flash their headlights, you know, and then they, you know, they keep honking at me. Right. Well, it was their friendly way of telling me that my headlights weren't turned on. See, our roads in Singapore are so lit up that sometimes we don't need the headlights at all. Of course, turning on the headlights is still necessary for the sake of other road users to see us. But what a difference it was when I was living in Sydney, Australia. See, I remember a night when I was uh, driving home after a church meeting. Now, it was the first time I drove at night in Australia. Now, there was hardly any street lamps on the highways. Now, I could only depend on my headlights to see what was ahead of me. Now, if you have driven in Sydney before or in Australia before, you know that the you know how the lanes tend to merge and expand, merge and expand, right? And then the lines on the ground weren't that clear. So there were times when I just drove into another lane without knowing it. Thankfully, most of the other drivers kept a far distance from me. Now I can imagine how much I welcomed every street lamp that popped up every few hundred meters to help me see better. But in contrast, there were other lights I didn't welcome. See, every now and then, you know, there will be other cars coming from the other side of the road in order to see the road better and further ahead, some of these drivers, they will sometimes use their high beam or you know, most of them would be considerate enough as they drive past another uh, approaching car, they will sort of you know, turn down the high beam. But there will also be other drivers who are not so considerate. They will keep their high beam up all the time. And it will be so blinding that I had to look away. Because if I don't, I can't see the road at all. See, light shines so that we can see. But light can also blind us. So Jesus came and claimed that he is the light of the world. He first said that in John chapter 8, verse 12. And then he said that again in chapter 9, verse 5. And what effects will Jesus, the light of the world, have? What are the results when Jesus, the light of the world, shines his light and does his work? Well, firstly, the blind can see. And we'll see that in chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. See, Jesus left the temple after the Jews rejected him at the end of uh, John 8. Now, we do not know how long it was after, but Jesus was still in Jerusalem. And he saw this man that was born blind. And his disciples asked him in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, the prevailing belief is that being born blind is a judgment for sin. 
The Jews at the time believed that a person can sin even in the mother's womb. Or if not, it was the result of the parents' sin. However, Jesus' answer to that is, neither. He said, it was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. Now, it is true that bad situations are the direct result of a sin committed. For example, the death of David and Bathsheba's son, a first child, as a result of their adultery and murder. But most of the time, these bad situations are the consequences of the fall. Now, you can read that from Genesis 3 and as well as Romans 8, right? Creation is corrupted and subjected to decay. And that includes our human body. So in a very general way, bad situations are tied to sin. However, we must be careful not to draw too tight a connection between a specific situation and a specific sin. Now, I still remember when uh, Macy and I, when we had our first child, we went to consult a lactation nurse to help with the breastfeeding. Now, at that time, Mason had a, you know, a patch of inflamed skin on her arm due to eczema. So the lactation nurse happened to be a Christian of sorts. Huh? She asked, you know, asked Mason whether she had some unrepented sin or some un, unresolved forgiveness. You know? And the nurse believed that you know, those sins were the direct cause of this patch of inflamed skin. Oh. You know, how distressing was it you know, to hear that? You know, she was already trying to cope with a newborn baby, being a new mother, and now you have someone coming up to you telling you that you have an unrepented sin, unconfessed sin that caused all these eczema problems. Well, I think the only sin that she has committed then was not applying her cream religiously. <laughs> but this is a side application for us here, right? The last thing we want to do when our brother or sister in Christ is going through suffering is to immediately attribute it directly to a sin that they have committed. See, my friends, that is not helpful. See, we end up being one of Job's friends who insists that Job's problems or his suffering was due to his sin when he did not. See, and perhaps for some of us here, some of us here have suffered difficult situations in life, illness, miscarriages, being born or as a child with, with special needs. What well, is not necessarily a direct sin that you have committed that caused that. It is not an unconfessed sin that caused that. So do not simply blame yourself and bear the guilt. By coming back to John chapter 9, verse 3, we can be assured that God can use the bad situation due to whatever causes for his purposes. You know, in the case of the man born blind, the works of God will be displayed in him. And what are these works of God? See, verse 4 tells us that they are the works of God whom God sent Jesus to come to do. That means that these works are to reveal God through Jesus' words and works. And through these words and works, 
people will come to believe who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And Jesus said that these works of God are to be done in the day before the night comes. It's sort of a metaphor. Jesus is saying that he has a limited time in this world to speak his words and to do his works. And when he is crucified, and that's when the night comes, he won't be doing this in person anymore. So as long as Jesus was alive on earth, he would shine as the light of the world to reveal God. But after saying these things, verse 6 tells us, Jesus then spat on the ground and made mud with saliva. Well, thankfully, he's not in Singapore. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Salom, which means sand. Now, this immediate healing actions tells us that the works of God, which is said earlier, were indeed to reveal God through Jesus' works in this case. Now, you might be thinking, why did Jesus go through this long process, you know, make marble saliva and whatever? Well, he's surely capable of making the blind man see by just, just saying it, right? Well, scholars have different suggestions. Some say that, well, the ancient world sees the healing power in saliva, and Jesus is perhaps claiming that his saliva can truly heal. Well, John Calvin says that it may be to intensify the blindness in order to magnify the cure. Others say that, well, perhaps God is, is like how he created man from dust. You know, Jesus is sort of recreating his eyes from the dust of the earth. Well, one even suggests, well, the mud was simply just for the man to have something to wash away when he go to the pool. Well, these are all possible suggestions, but we really are not very sure why God, I mean, why Jesus did all he did. But perhaps we don't need to think too much about it. The fact is that Jesus, he is the one who healed the man born blind. But nonetheless, the very fact that Jesus used and made the mud that will become a point on contention later on. You see, the blind man was told to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, Siloam means sand. Now, why is this detailed, detailed sort of recorded for us? Well, the pool of uh, Siloam is in the southwest of the city of David. Now, it was uh, originally a sort of a reservoir of water that was channeled from the Gihon Spring via what is known as the Hezekiah Tunnel. Right? So this part in the picture, the pool is actually at the bottom, but it's sort of covered up over the years. So King Hezekiah built this tunnel in the late 8th century, which when he anticipated the siege by the Assyrian army. Now today, if you go to Israel, you can still walk through this, uh, this tunnel. It's still filled with water, and it's really quite an engineering feat because in those days, when they don't have all the equipment, but they built a tunnel from both ends, they somehow meet in the middle. Quite amazing. Now, the, the pool has its name Salom, perhaps to, to, to show that or represent that the water was sent from the Gihon Spring to the city. However, that's not the only meaning. There's probably a deeper meaning here. See, in John's Gospel, Jesus was often referred to as the, the one sent by God. So when using it here, perhaps you're saying that it was the sent one 
who healed this man. Now it's also suggested that it was to show that it was not the blind man who you know, healed himself or, or by the water. He received sight only because Jesus sent him to the pool to wash. What was required was just the man's faith and obedience. So either way, it is clear that it was only Jesus who could give sight. See, Jesus said earlier in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness and will have the light of life. Now it hints that if Jesus is the sent one who gave this blind man physical sight, he will also be the one who will give us spiritual sight. But the man obeyed Jesus. He went to the pool. He washed and came back seeing. Now for the man personally, it was great. He was blind from birth. He had never seen anything at all. But now he can see. Now it was truly the compassion and grace and mercy of Jesus that Jesus did not merely just pass him by. Jesus took the initiative in reaching out to him. See, that man didn't even know who Jesus was. You know who he was in the beginning. But now looking at the larger picture, the healing of the blind man is not just to heal him, but it's a sign that points to something, or should I say someone more significant. See, in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah prophesies that when the Savior Messiah, otherwise known as Christ, comes, the eyes of the blind will be opened. Allow me to read parts of it for you. Isaiah 35 Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the years of the death, death will unstop. And then also in Isaiah 42, verse 6 to 7, which we read earlier in the service, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. See, as you can see, Jesus giving sight to the blind show that he is indeed that long-awaited Messiah, that servant who will come to save. So there is more than, you know, there's more to see than what it is just from physical sight. But for now, there's one thing sure. The man was born blind, but now he sees. So what are the results when Jesus, the light of the world, shines his light and does his work? Well, firstly, the blind can see. The blind man receives sight physically, that points to Jesus being the Messiah. But that's not the only response Jesus has. Secondly, when Jesus shines his lights, the sighted won't see. So let's go to verses 8 to 34 to see that. See, in this next section, we will see four rounds of questioning regarding the healing of this blind man. And in each round, we will see the different responses to this sign and ultimately to the man behind the sign, Jesus Christ. See, what effects 
will Jesus, the light of God, have on them? Well, the first round of questioning is, is, uh, is off the man by the neighbours. No doubt these neighbours you know, would have known him from young. right? Oh, They've seen him begging on the streets since he was young. But now they could not believe their own eyes. The man born blind, whom they see every day, can now see. Yet they were divided in their opinions about him. Some say he was indeed the blind man. Others say that he wasn't. But the man himself ended the conversation and discussion by declaring that he is indeed that man. But when he was asked how his eyes were open, he just laid down the bare facts, the bare account of what Jesus told him to do, what he did for him. And at this point, this man only knew Jesus as the man called Jesus. But nonetheless, he still obeyed Jesus and received his sight as a result. And when he was asked where Jesus was, he had no answer. He wasn't sighted when he encountered Jesus, and he had no idea where Jesus went after that. Well, then the neighbours brought this man to the Pharisees. Now, why did the neighbours do that? Well, sometimes amazing and unprecedented things just happen in the neighbourhood, and they needed some explanation from the local leaders. You know, some years back in Singapore, you know, when we first experienced, you know, like the water spout, and then we have hailstone falling from the sky, what did every Singaporean do? Wow, post, 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 and then start writing to NEA, right? What's happening here? Right? Everyone was excited, and then they start asking around, looking for explanation. So similarly, the neighbours were not trying to sabo this blind man. They were merely looking for explanations that were perhaps filled by all the messianic expectations at that time. But verse 14 then brings out the very sore point. See, verse 14 says, Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. See, the issue that the Pharisees have with Jesus often revolves around the Sabbath. See, for those who are unfamiliar or new to us, you know, the Pharisees were a group of uh, religious leaders who emphasized strict observance of their religious rules and traditions. But many of these rules, many of these tra traditions were self-made and not the commandments which God gave through Moses. For example, people were commanded not to work on the Sabbath. That was meant to help people rest, focus and trust God for his providence. But the Pharisees would add rules, right? Such as not carrying your mats, not kneading your dough, you know, in order to define what work is. Now such rules become onerous, you know, and they become you know, very suffocating in many ways. And that is perhaps why they were against Jesus in this incident, because healing on the Sabbath were deemed as work. And furthermore, Jesus made mud with his hands. It was perhaps deemed as kneading the dough, you know, one of the actions that they considered work. But seriously, who would eat mud? But in any case, that is why the focus of the Pharisees' questioning is on the how of the healing. Now, it was not wrong for them to investigate, 
However, you can see from their questioning, questioning there wasn't any joy, there was hardly any thanksgiving for a man born blind receiving his sight. They seemed to be more interested in finding out if Jesus broke their rules while healing. So once again, the man just stated the bare facts in verse 15. He put mud on my eyes and I wash and I see. Very simple. At this point, there was division among the Pharisees again. Some Pharisees concluded that well, Jesus is not from God because he did not keep to the Sabbath according to their own rules. Others, however, were a little bit hesitant because a sinner would not be able to do such a sign. See, in fact, the Bible has no records of anyone who was healed from being born blind. That said, it was still right for the Pharisees to investigate, provided it was a fair one. So they questioned the blind man again. But this time, they asked for his opinion of Jesus and, just, and not just the facts. For the blind man, he would not evaluate Jesus based on the Pharisees' rules. He would not deny the miraculous work by Jesus on him. And so he concluded that Jesus is a prophet. For Jesus must minimally be a prophet to do such a miraculous sign. Now, of course, we as a reader here know that that's not the ultimate identity of Jesus. But it was the first step first step of his progression in seeing Jesus rightly. He was at least not clouded or threatened by the Pharisees. The Pharisees then call in this man's parents for questioning. But if you look at verse 18, it really tells us of their bias in the questioning. See, they call in his parents because they did not believe he was born blind. They did not believe that he has recovered his sight. They already made up in their mind before the questioning. So that questioning can be really broken down into three parts, right? Is this your son? Was he born blind? And how is it that he can now see? See, they were still very preoccupied with the how. So the man's parents affirmed the first two questions. Well, he is our son. Yes, he was born blind. However, he, they act blur on the last one. Perhaps they really didn't witness the healing. But they, they surely would have heard from the son, right? They probably have heard from the neighbors as well. But in any case, they became Tai Chi masters, right? Ask him, it's of age. Now, for the Jews, the minimum age for giving legally valid you know, testimony is 13. Not bad, huh? Now, in my school, teachers call me up for their wrongdoing, I'll just say, he's of age, ask him. <laughs> ah, I see all the parents here very happy. See, the parents just pass the responsibility back to this blind man. You know, some weeks back uh, on a Saturday, you know, I saw a group of people playing uh, football in the Kochan school field. Now, on Saturdays, being responsible for the use of the school, you know, I went up to them and asked them if they had permission to, to use the field. See, everyone I ask will pass the question to the next one. Ask him, ask him, ask him. But finally, by the time I came to the last one, he had to answer. Of course, they have no permission to use the field. 
But all of them didn't dare to answer me because they were very afraid and worried about what the consequences would be. Because if they say they have, I'll probably call the police. See, back to John chapter 9, verse 22 tells us that the parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. See, the reason why the man's parents, you know, tai chi or, or avoid the question is because they were afraid to speak the truth. See, by speaking the truth, they would be put out of the synagogue. And that's a very big deal for them then. Now, see, they will be cut off socially, economically, and will be deemed as sinners by everyone. But here we see another kind of response to Jesus. They seem to know the truth, but lack the courage to believe in the face of opposition and the possible cost. They were cited, but they were not willing to see further. Not getting what they hoped to get from the parents, they turned back to questioning the man for a second time. The Pharisees refused to see who Jesus was. So they urged the blind man, give glory to God. You see, on his own, this, this phrase means to just speak the truth before God. However, the next sentence tells us that they were actually telling the man to declare Jesus as a sinner. See, they claim that they already know that Jesus is a sinner because he had violated their Sabbath rules. So at this point, the man felt that, well, he's really not in a position to judge, right? And the man answered in verse 25, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He could only give the facts. And that's the truth and the glory he would give to God. See, the Pharisees then repeated their questioning again on how his eyes were opened. They were battering the witness again and again till they get what they want to hear. And that prompted the man to be perhaps a little bit cheeky, or if I use a youth term, it's, not, it's a little bit pegro here in verse 27. Okay, for those who are not so young here, pegro just means passive-aggressive, right? Okay, now I have told you already and you will not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? See, my wife, Mason, she used to be a secondary school teacher. Now she often witnessed, you know, how the boys in the class can sometimes be a, a, little, mean, a little bit mean in teasing the, the girls in the class. And then as a form teacher, she would just ask these boys in the class, Oh, why, why are you teasing these girls so often? Are you interested in them? Wow, brilliant answer. Right? That would draw a loud string of denials and no, no, and then they stop the teasing. But not for these Pharisees, though. See, their hostility towards the Jesus was really off the charts. They reviled him, saying, You are his disciples. They are his disciples, but we are disciples of Jesus. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Well, here's the irony, my friends. 
if they truly hear what Jesus, or what Moses has said, they would have known who Jesus is. See, Jesus is the Savior and the prophet who is to come according to Moses. And not to mention, if they were truly disciples of Moses, then how is it that they are not following Moses' instructions on hearing the testimonies and making fair judgment? On the other hand, the man born blind might not know as much as the Pharisees. He had a very simple understanding based on the facts before him. And it was certainly not common to have someone healed from being born blind. Such healing was always credited to God. And in response, well, this man went on another pagro approach again in verses 30, 30 to 33. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that, some, that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You see, the Pharisees' insistence on condemning Jesus actually pushed this man further to faith. See, through the unreasonable pressing of the Pharisees, this man has ironically progressed from saying that he does not know whether Jesus is a sinner or not to acknowledging that he can't be because God does not listen to sinners. And the fact that Jesus can open his eyes means that Jesus was minimally a worshipper of God and does God's will. So the conclusion for him is that Jesus must be from God. Now the Pharisees couldn't get anything out of this man to help their cause, so they went on an ad, ad hominem attack to insult him, discredit his testimony, and then cast him out. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. See, all the evidence was before the eyes of the Pharisees, but they just wouldn't see. They had sight, but they were not willing to see. See, with all their Old Testament knowledge, they failed to see Jesus fulfilling the signs of the Messianic age. They stood as a huge contrast to the blind man who was slowly seeing, not just physically, but spiritually. They who called this man so steeped in sin because of his physical blindness were the ones who were truly steeped in sin for their spiritual blindness. They were sighted, but chose not to see. As for the man, he was cast out by the Pharisees. Jesus then returned to the picture in the last section of the passage from verse 35 onwards. Once again, Jesus took the initiative to seek this man out. See, this man has never seen Jesus before and only heard his voice. Jesus then asked him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? You may ask, well, who is the Son of Man? Well, we must understand this title from how the Gospel has defined the Son of Man. The Son of Man in John's Gospel is one who reveals God from chapter 1. He speaks God's word of life and judgment 
and is also the Son of Man's flesh and blood that will give life, according to John 5. And furthermore, the title Son of Man is understood in Daniel 7 to be this Messiah, the King, who has given dominion to rule over the world forever. So Jesus then revealed to this man that he is the Son of Man. The man then professed faith and worshipped Jesus. He would have understood Jesus as the Son of Man in Daniel 7. And hence, he worshipped him. At the end of the day, the man not only gains physical sight, but he also gained spiritual sight. By the grace of God, the blind man could truly see who Jesus is. Hence, Jesus made the concluding remark in verse 39. For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. You know, for those who have been with us for the past few weeks or in a discipleship group, you would have remembered that Jesus said he did not come to judge. That is not his purpose of coming to the world. He came to save the world. However, his very presence and the words he say will have a judging effect. See, depending on how one responds to Jesus and his words, they are judged to have life or not. See, in order for someone to trust in Jesus, they have to recognize their sin and their need to be born again. They cannot rely on their religious practices or their background, their ancestry to save them. Those who were previously blind to that truth but now sees it will be saved instead. On the other hand, those who were offended by Jesus and refused to see and acknowledge Jesus will naturally be put into judgment. Now that was the case for the Pharisees. Clearly what Jesus said was within earshot of some of the Pharisees. They were not stupid at all. They knew that Jesus was talking about them. They said to Jesus, are we also blind? You see, the Pharisees assumed that they were not blind. You see, if you go to the original Greek sentence structure, it expects a no to the question, are we blind? Jesus goes on to say in verse 41 that if they were blind, that is, they admit they do not know and are willing to have spiritual sight from Jesus, then they will be forgiven of their guilt. However, if they proclaim that they can see, that is, they have spiritual sight, but yet they do not believe in Jesus, then there will be no forgiveness for them. Their guilt remains with them. And just like how John 3 will say it, they stood condemned already. So in summary, what are the results when Jesus, the light of the world, shines his light and does his work? Well, firstly, the blind can see. The blind man can see physically to point to Jesus being the Messiah. Secondly, when Jesus shines his light, the self-professed sighted won't see spiritually. They won't see because they refuse to see. But lastly, when Jesus shines his light, those who admit that they are blind spiritually, they can receive sight. They can truly see who Jesus is. 
Now, what does that mean for us? See, my friends, light can illuminate, but light can also blind us in the darkness. The very person, words, and works of Jesus demand a response from us. See, when Jesus revealed himself then and in his word to us today, there can be three possibilities. Firstly, we can be like the Pharisees who refuse to believe who Jesus is despite all the evidence and, you know, and, and land up being still blinded. But secondly, we can be like the man's parents who are not courageous to believe or not courageous to explore further due to the possible cost and opposition. And lastly, we can be like the blind man who is humble to gain spiritual sight, to see who Jesus is and believe in him. So let me ask you, what might cause us to be blinded by the Pharisees? You know, just like the Pharisees, we may be clouded by our bias, our self-made traditions, and our beliefs. You know, I was once like that. You know, in my mind, forgiveness of sins cannot be so easy for the sinner. See, I'm the one responsible for my sin, and I'm the one who's responsible for overcoming all my sin and all my problems. I'll pay them back. See, my only saviour is myself. Now, it wasn't until someone who shared the gospel with me that I realised that I really cannot deal with my own sin. See, no amount of good work I do can make up for my past, present and future sins. See, my self-sufficiency overestimated my efforts and underestimated the gravity of my sins and the holiness of this God who is also our judge. I needed someone else outside of me to deal with my sin. And that is Jesus, who committed no sin but paid for our sins with his death. And perhaps many of us here who are self-professed Christians, we too have formed certain expectations of who our God and our, our Saviour should be that are not biblical. You know, informed by our cultural voices, our societal values, and even supposedly Christian voices, we only believe in a Saviour who fits those voices and values that may be actually very far from the truth. And that's how Christian cults, universalistic, free, liberal, and prosperity gospel churches are formed. Because they form and they abandon the biblical Jesus for one that fits the cultural voices as well as their wants and their dreams and their expectations. Or perhaps we are not like the Pharisees, but could we be like the man's parents? We may believe, we may perhaps believe who Jesus is and what he has done. However, the cost of believing and following Jesus may be too hard to bear. See, while we are not afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue today, right? But we may be afraid of being thrown out of our social circles, losing out in the world, losing out in the marketplace. We dare not acknowledge and we dare not live for Jesus because the worldly cost is just too hard to bear.
Or will we be like the man born blind? The Pharisees and the Jewish leaders keep saying, no, they know, they know who Jesus is, yada, yada. But the blind man, he was truthful, he was humble. He did not know who Jesus was in the beginning, but he knew what Jesus has done for him, and he was not afraid to declare it despite the cause and the opposition. And in the end, God gave him spiritual sight. He moved from calling Jesus as the man called Jesus to a prophet, then to someone who is from God, and eventually worship Jesus as the Son of Man. As for us, we may not know everything, but we too can investigate and know the historical facts and the accounts here in the Gospel and elsewhere that Jesus did die on the cross for our sins. And perhaps many of us here would have experienced His love, His guidance, His grace and His mercy, and perhaps even through people that you know in church. Then will we then be courageous and faithful to persevere to know Him more and more and to worship Him? See, my friends, there are only three types of responses to Jesus. Blatant denial, fearful ambivalence, or a persevering faith. What will be yours? Pray to God to give you the humility to have spiritual eyes to see and the courage to confess and live for Him. And when you do, you will experience the amazing grace for the forgiveness of sins that Jesus paid for you on the cross. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for sending Jesus as the light of the world to shine the world and do the work you sent him to do. We thank you that through his words and his works, Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah and ultimately the one who will purchase our forgiveness on the cross. Help us to respond to Jesus with humility and faithfulness. For those who are seeking, we pray that you will reveal yourself more and more to them by your grace. For those who are ambivalent or wavering, we pray that you will re-establish their faith in the words and the works of Jesus. May you pour out your mercy and your grace upon us so that we may receive spiritual sight and be persevering worshippers of yours. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.